A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash nuclear revenge video. If you love these tales of explosive revenge, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below. That's it, our first story of the day is by Hop Off My Ick Bro. Cheat on me, and I'll ruin your life for everybody you touch. Ronnie was a serial cheater throughout high school, but he was more than that. He was manipulative. He would blow through relationships, typically four at a time. They would only ever last a week to a couple of months before the girls would catch him cheating. He'd proceed to leak their inappropriate photos or spill their secrets and move on to a new demographic of women. He was charismatic and scapegoated his problems onto his dying father. It didn't matter anyhow. He would destroy the victim's reputation until they weren't trusted anyways. Despite this, I was in love. I was a side piece through it all. Morally, I knew it was wrong, but I'd never been in love before. Besides, he wasn't lying to me like all the other girls. He was honest about the fact he was cheating. I was special. I stuck it out. Two years later, and he's fallen in love with me too, or so I thought. He vowed to give up cheating, even gave up adult entertainment just to have me love him back. I accepted it. We planned to marry. He was always so smart about his manipulation. When friends blocked me randomly or called me abusive, I thought it was just a misunderstanding. When people began to become aware of deep personal secrets, I thought maybe I'd slipped up during a conversation. No one ever told me Ronnie had called me abusive, a cheater, or a liar. I never knew he accused me of being the things he secretly was. He would insult me late at night before bed and then claim he didn't remember in the morning. He would slip sly comments into our talks, just enough to make me doubt myself but never question him. He was a master at gaslighting until I hated myself and only wanted to please him. I was head over heels in love despite all of it. He would casually slap me, never when I was upset but when I said things he didn't like. He would slap me across the face and I would be too shocked to speak. He followed it up by laughing and playing it off as okay to do or a joke so I wouldn't fight back. If I expressed that it was wrong or told anyone, he said I was misunderstanding a playful tap. Halfway through our relationship, I followed work to another state and maintained a long distance relationship with him. It was my dream. I wanted so badly to stay, but after 8 months, I gave up my home, my pets, and my job to move a thousand miles across the country to live with him again. I had literally nothing and was absolutely penniless. Three months after this, I caught him cheating. He had asked a girl on a date via an alt Twitter account. I was hurt, but ultimately it wasn't so bad, so I forgave him. The seed of doubt was already planted, however. Two months later, I snooped through his phone and noticed he had several Reddit accounts saved to Chrome. I vaguely recalled he used Reddit to view adult entertainment before, and I got a bad feeling in my stomach. I began guessing his common email and password combos. I got 5 hits total. There were more than I expected. I figured maybe he was lying about not watching adult entertainment, which isn't a big deal to me, but for 6 months, he had been using these accounts to cheat on me using hookup and adult entertainment subreddits. I confronted him. He screamed, telling me he'd already apologized to me for cheating a few months ago and I needed to quit making him sad. That he'd already said sorry and I wasn't going to get anything else. He explained that he had continued to cheat because he feared I would leave and he wanted a second option. 
I spent a week and a half sobbing. I had nothing but this man, and I'd never been good enough for him. I was destroyed. He screamed at me nearly every day, telling me my crying was annoying, that my depression made him uncomfortable, telling my friends I was guilt tripping him over something that didn't happen. Finally, I snapped. I had wasted all of my high school and early adult years with a man who did nothing but walk on me. I went back to Reddit and counted every person he had flirted with or exchanged messages with. I began to voice record every conversation, screenshot every text. Next, I downloaded Tinder and Bumble. For every girl he cheated on me with, I hooked up with a guy behind his back. When we went out with friends, I began to act more and more sad and slowly dropped in conversation how Ronnie had been yelling at me the night before and that it had upset me. I began to vent to his friends and show them every screenshot. Then I emailed his mother, his grandparents, and his work voice recordings of him screaming at me. I asked his boss if his company supported domestic violence. I cried to his mother and she held me as I vented my frustrations, explaining how she had been cheated on by Ronnie's father. Ronnie began to scapegoat again. He told me he was sick in the head and his depression was causing him to act like that. I knew he was attempting to gaslight me. When we were young, I was so in love with him that I saved almost every photo and text he had sent me to a OneDrive. I had found all the times that he'd admitted to leaking inappropriate photos, cheating, and ruining girls' lives. I got in contact with each of the girls, making one big group chat and sending them every bit of evidence I could find. These were then posted all over Facebook. He had dreams of getting into politics. I joined every political group in our area and pretended to be interested in joining. I befriended the members and casually dropped into conversation how Ronnie had cheated on me and verbally abused me and ruined other people's lives. They would inquire more. I would vent and show them the mountain of evidence I collected. Ronnie was still unaware that I'd done it. He spent the night screaming and crying about how no one liked him and he wasn't sure why. He had lost his job. His friends and family wouldn't speak to him. He was being publicly shamed on social media and his political group had ousted him. I finally dropped it onto him that I had done it and I was leaving. During all this, I had secretly removed what little money I had from his bank account and contacted distant relatives and asked for a place to stay. I was leaving. He didn't have anything left to abuse or manipulate. I don't have a solid ending for this. I just wanted to say screw you, Ronnie. I wasted my youth being abused and I won't stand for it anymore. Considering everything that OP did and everything OP shut down in Ronnie's life, do you think that punishment was enough for what Ronnie did? Or do you think Ronnie still deserves even more karma beyond that? Whether or not that would happen? Let me know what you guys think in the comments down below. Our next story is by an anonymous poster, Best College Guest Speaker Ever. When finishing up my degree in criminal justice, we had to learn about how the justice system works and how sometimes it doesn't. For about two weeks, we studied a case from the early 90s of a woman that had killed her husband. Because the case is public record and a very interesting read, look up Betty Freeberg, 1993. The setting was a small town in Iowa and the husband was the town drunk. Everyone in town knew him for a drunk, a brawler, a womanizer, and overall just a bad person. His wife was the stay-at-home mom, as she wasn't allowed to work or leave the house, aside from getting groceries. He would go home, hurt her and violate her, and the cycle would go on and on and the whole town knew. Neighbors were a quarter mile down the road, but would still call the police when they heard noises. 
It was well documented, and because he was never a threat to their daughter, the police did nothing aside from take him to jail like a revolving door. Each time he got out, he'd hurt her again. Their daughter was away at college but came home for Thanksgiving. While the father was at work, the daughter told the mother that her father had violated her and that she even had an abortion because of it. This was the breaking point for the mother. She got her revenge 100-fold. When the daughter went back to school after the holidays and the husband came home, she used the gun at the kitchen table on him. The table is important because it was a big farm table used for chopping up deer and other livestock. Doing the butchering was her job and she was good at it. If I could find the case report, it has pictures of the table and clear marks of chopping. She chopped up her husband and scattered his body over neighboring farms, fed what she could to her livestock, and cleaned up. Months went by and a winter came and left. Police investigating his disappearance even questioned her while sitting at the table drinking coffee. She explained the marks on the table by explaining that she butchered her own meat and showed the officers her deep freeze. The investigation went on for months until finally a neighbor's dog brought back a body part. They identified it as belonging to him and she was arrested on the spot. She pled not guilty and refused any offers. It went to trial and 12 of her peers judged her not guilty due to extenuating circumstances. She confessed to the crime, explained why she did it and how, and that she had no real choice because no one was going to help her. The farm was hers and she refused to give it up as it had been her family's home. She was let go entirely for the murder charge. The next week, we had Betty as a speaker at the class to discuss the case and she was awesome. At the time, she ironically sold dismemberment insurance for Aflac. Betty, if you ever read this, know that you're seen as a figurehead for battered women and you pulled off the best revenge I've ever been able to study. So I'm definitely not advocating for what she did here, but like, considering the circumstances and how literally nobody was helping them, I feel like you kind of understand. I mean, the jury did. And our final story of the day is by ThrowM34W4Y4RDY. Shot up house is the price for screwing with retirement. Cast of characters, Jim, the owner of the property, Betty, his wife, Kirsten, daughter of Jim and me, Tilda, Betty's sister, Larry, Tilda's husband, Sonny, daughter of Tilda and Larry, Larry Jr., Larry and Tilda's son, and Mike, Larry and Tilda's son. Many years ago in rural Appalachia and coal country lived a cluster of families on a hauler. Jim and Betty owned a mobile home and had their daughter Kirsten with them. This mobile home was two bedrooms and one bathroom, but it was sufficient enough for shelter. During the mid-1980s, a recession hit Appalachia hard, and Jim found work in another part of the country. In moving, he approached Larry and Tilda to look after the mobile home and collect rent for anyone that wanted to lease the mobile home. A rent amount was agreed to and would be adjusted for inflation and the cost of living for the area. The money was to be deposited into a savings account except for the money needed for necessary repairs and receipts kept. Jim and Betty trusted their siblings with this and moved, trusting that this money would be part of their retirement fund. I was privy to these conversations but did not pay that much attention to them at the time. Shortly after leaving Appalachia, a renter was found and Jim and Betty were glad to know that something was coming about from the land in their home area. Then Mike moved into the mobile home, and Jim stipulated that the rental agreement did not change even with his nephew renting the mobile home. After Mike moved out, 
Sonny moved in and stayed for several years. Betty asked Tilda several times about the rent, knowing Sonny was very unreliable with rent in the past, and was assured that between Section 8 and food stamps that the rent was being paid on time and there were no issues. A few repairs had been done, but the receipts were stored in the safe deposit box where the savings account was. Fast forward a few more years, Sonny finally moves out and there's a few more renters, and then the taxes are not getting paid. The mobile home will not pass for Section 8 any longer. As we, Jim, Betty and I, have been told repairs had been made over the years, we find this odd and inquire again to Tilda, who states this was all a misunderstanding. Once again, Betty trusts her sister and is relieved when we get the tax receipt in the mail. This is very important later. Another few years pass, and Tilda dies. Jim and Betty attend the funeral, and Betty makes a gesture to assist with some of the expenses. Larry agrees, and Betty requests access to the savings account that should have at least tens of thousands of dollars by this point, not including interest, to only find out it has never existed. All of the paperwork has been fraudulent and or forged. Remember that tax receipt? Another forgery. Betty refused to fight. She had just lost her sister. Still, Jim is livid, as am I. Sonny was always abusive to me, and to find out that she'd been living off my parents for free while receiving Section 8 for rent and getting food stamps sent me over the edge on top of the missing retirement funds. Cue revenge. So knowing everything was fraudulent from the beginning, Jim and I attempted legal means first to get revenge on this thief. We were met with walls of red tape, and with states separating us, it was an uphill battle with a slim chance of winning. Plus, the attorney fees would drain any winnings, and then more. First, I put my piece into action against Sonny. I filed claims of fraud against the Section 8 anonymously, and SNAP benefits given that there were absolutely no proof of rent being paid to the homeowner or the custodian. Larry was stupid enough not to write out a fraudulent receipt for when his daughter lived there. Next, I filed against Larry for tax evasion and social security fraud, since Sonny was claiming to be paying him the rent money via Section 8. This was income. Since he was not claiming this income on his tax forms, he was double-dipping into the Social Security system and avoiding paying taxes. I did the same for the time Mike was paying rent, although he didn't claim government benefits, he just paid rent. The next stage was to notify their local church about the shady dealings with family. Their faith is big on lay ministers and credibility, I told anyone and everyone I could from the church directory about what had happened. I even showed the fake tax receipt. The last bit was the most nefarious. After ensuring that Larry was visiting Sonny and the house he owned was empty, a rented car was used, and while Betty drove, Jim used a 22 rifle to shoot holes in the roof, the AC compressor, the garage doors, and anything that was laying in the yard and not immediately noticeable. We wanted the burn to last, so no windows were shot out or anything evident from the start showed. Aftermath? Sonny is now being investigated for multiple charges of fraud. Her side business has been closed due to the sweeping allegations that money will not be allocated as intended. Her applications for small business loans and COVID funds have been denied. Criminal charges are being whispered, but I don't think anything will come about that portion. Larry's been found guilty of overpayment by the Social Security Administration and no longer receives benefits. He now lives with Sonny and no longer has his truck, camper, boat, or ATVs. Unfortunately, once again, criminal charges are not pending. 
Larry Jr. has moved into the old home that was shot up. The roof had several places where hail or other debris punched through and made it leak. The siding had similar damage. They noticed some of the bullets and they finally figured out what it was. Pierced some of the old PVC and plastic plumbing. He spent a fortune fixing the roof, plumbing, and siding where a lot of little holes were. I don't know if he's tried the AC yet, but I'll be delighted to find out if it malfunctions as severely as I hope. If people are going to be scummy like that, you don't really feel bad for them falling on hard times after, honestly, being scummy and riding off of that for so long. If you or somebody you know or cared about got totally screwed over like that, you'd want to get revenge against them too. Just so kind of happens that seems it's almost lawless a little bit in these places. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all three of these stories that I've read for you today, which one was your personal favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.